This is Transcripts. The state of transness in America, the state of blackness in America, the state of sexuality in America, everything that I care about, housing, discrimination, education. Sharing space, sharing story, sharing experience. And that, that is the work. That is the work that I'm so honored to stand here and lift up for you today. Hey everyone, this is our last episode before the United States presidential election. And I just wanted to take this moment to say thank you for all of the listening and the sharing and all of the other ways that you've been supporting transcripts this year. Making media in 2020 is so weird and so hard, and it's required a lot of connections and a lot of community. And I've been feeling that community from listeners all over the globe. So thank you so much. And that feeling of transnational solidarity and community is part of why I wanted to share this short meditation that my friend Arlie and I made earlier in the pandemic about trans care and support across borders. We produced this short piece for Jacobin's podcast, The Dig, and their series, Antibody. And I'll have links in the show notes to more episodes of that project, too. But for now, um, here is my voice again, <laughs> which is a little awkward, but um, here it is. You're in the muscle after like um, three quarters of an inch or something. It's not that deep. You don't have to go that deep. And like I said, you can usually feel the feeling of like, oh, there's something slightly more hard. And those needles are super long, so you can use them as a gauge. Like if you push that needle all the way in, you're definitely in a muscle. There's no question. And I just try to do it like, yeah, two thirds of the way in to 75% of the way in is also fine. Like it's okay. Um, so you can do an intramuscular injection with a one inch needle and it'll work. So like, that's how I keep myself knowing, like, that's about how deep it has to go. Do you think I should do my injection like now while we're on the call? Yeah, sure. I'm in my bedroom in London, video calling my friend Cass. Well, what if I, yeah, I'll, I'll just, just demo, demo it, it. Yeah. and you can do it with me. Yeah. We can do it together. Okay. He's sitting on his bedroom floor in Virginia. So I keep my stuff in, this is a case for slides. <laughs> um, and then I have like all these little vials and sometimes I keep needles in here too. Our friend Tuck was also on the call, sleepily watching from bed in Portland. I am awake. It's our own personal international trans person helpline. I think we have like different things in the UK. Oh, interesting. Like, how often do you do yours? So I do mine once a week. I I do mine. People do them very differently. I don't. My doctor normally does my testosterone shots every three weeks at the surgery near my house. A doctor did my first shot, and my girlfriend at the time did a few after that. But then I had to learn how to do it on my own. In the U.S., you can't just go to clinics all the time. You're supposed to take care of yourself. Since my last injection, coronavirus escalated massively. Yeah, when I was at my doctor's the last time, he was like, the surgery might close, so you might not be able to come in. But we agreed that I'd probably be able to get my shot one way or the other, like as long as I could get the testosterone from the pharmacy. 
And but with yeah. the conversation we had was like, I can either come here or if it's closed, I might be able to go to. There's this really amazing. It's mainly a sexual health clinic for queer people. And then I was like, oh, and yeah. if that's closed, I'll be able to find like another trans person to do it. And the thing like yeah. neither of us thought ahead about was the possibility that we'd be in a full on lockdown. Someone can't come into our house and I can't go into their house. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no way. I know. It's just one of the many things you can't anticipate about health that like breaks down. Now the only way I can get my shot is if I do it myself. But no one's ever taught me how. So I text Cass and Tuck and ask for help. So when I open the little box, it looks like this. Oh, wow, that looks so much more like science than mine. And then yeah. I guess I need to, like... So how do you put that into a needle <laughs> or into a syringe? I don't know. <laughs> All right, we're going to figure this out. No, I think okay. you must, must... My friend Aaron James taught me how to inject myself. They sat with me on the floor of their apartment, and they took me through the whole process step by step. I actually have a bad needle phobia, and I was terrified that I was going to pass out alone, bleeding out with a needle in my thigh. When I was more of a baby about it, it helped me to write it down and just be like, here's all the steps. And then feel like really in control of it and be like, I know what all the steps are, and I'm not going to fuck them up. So I do mine in my thigh, which is where a lot of people self-inject. And I can show you what I was taught about how to do that. Um, let me see if I can show you on my body. So... Trans people are always helping other trans people learn how to do medical stuff. That's true all over the world, even when there isn't a global pandemic happening. In the U.S. especially, where so many of us don't have health insurance, we're always each other's nurses and doctors and caregivers. The other thing that I do that's different is that I, rather than stab, like, rather than doing, like, a thrust motion, I don't do that because that's too scary. I can't, mm-hmm. like, I will just stop my hand before yeah. I don't actually do it. Um, so I just, like, my friend taught me this, um, is you can just push, you can just put the needle right up on your skin. So I don't know if you can see well, but, like, literally I can just take the needle and push it where it needs to go and then slide it in. In a way, how trans people access medical care in the U.S., It's kind of a microcosm of how the whole system works. It's something that you can buy if you have money, and if you don't, it's something that you fundraise for, or beg for, or hustle for, or you just do without. Or learn to teach each other. You just did the flicking it thing that doctors do on TV shows. Yeah, it's the thing that that doctors do on the TV shows. Yeah, exactly. It's 100% like that. So it's it's literally like, I was supposed to do it when I had the needle on. I don't always remember it, but like, it's just to get little air bubbles in. And if you flick it, then the little tiny air bubbles pop. Okay. Um, Sometimes you can ask your doctor, I don't know how this works with socialized medicine, but sometimes you can ask your doctor to like give you a different gauge. Like, when we talked about it a couple of weeks later, I realized Cass was feeling jealous at points during this video call. If it weren't for this pandemic, I could have gone to my doctor to get this shot. Indefinitely, if I wanted to. That's not how it works in the US. Sometimes I get angry with trans people who live in countries with public medical systems. An Australian friend told me recently that there's this clinic in her neighborhood that gives out hormones to trans people. Any trans person, no questions asked. Sometimes I fantasize about what my bank account would look like 
if I still had the $6,000 that I spent on top surgery, or if I didn't send random amounts of money to trans people's medical GoFundMes all the time. I don't feel defensive about Cass's jealousy or anger that he lives in a country with such a messed up healthcare system. I know how lucky I am to have the NHS, the National Health Service. But when we talked about this later, I did point out I have the exact same six grand shaped hole in my bank account from paying for my top surgery. And lots of other big holes from various private psychiatrist and endocrinologist appointments. Because while, yeah, I can get my regular shots from my doctor, I've still paid out of pocket for all my transition-related healthcare. Sometimes I wonder what it would be like if the people I love weren't constantly struggling just to exist in their bodies in this country that doesn't want them to live. It's hard to talk about because I love the NHS and I'm so grateful to have it. But trans healthcare is maybe one of the worst bits of the whole system. Getting help as a trans person in the UK is really hard. It's not fair that my country only wants rich people to be healthy. One of the main gender identity clinics here was recently estimating a five-year waiting list for starting treatment. And people in other countries get to go to the doctor whenever they want. I'm extremely lucky that with help from my family, I was able to stump up the money and just go private for my surgery and hormones. And that I happened to stumble on a local doctor who's never tried to stand in the way of my transition. I'm angry a lot of the time. But also, I've been lucky to have a community that shows up for me. My barriers to healthcare have put me in touch with this powerful network of solidarity. And right now, we're in the midst of this crisis where it seems like everyone, not just undocumented people, not just gig workers, disabled people, poor people, trans people, Everyone has to fend for themselves. So those of us who have been doing it forever, it feels like we have something we can share. It's helpful to have this. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you for showing me. <laughs> this, it makes me feel really good that I can. This is like a thing I can actually help with. <laughs> uh, it's, it's actually really good to have that. Carly, how do you feel about it? I think I feel like having this conversation made me realise for the first time I actually do have to give myself an injection. (laughs) I'm very like a person that like doesn't worry too much about a thing until the thing is happening. But now the thing's happening and I'm like, oh right, like there are so many elements to this thing, including putting a needle in me. I didn't end up doing my shot on the call because we were talking during my lunch break and I didn't want to rush it. But later that evening, I had to do it. I got out my needles and syringes to prep the injection.
I tried to remember what Cass told me to do and to imagine him there with me. So what I do is I like to like tense my muscles really hard, like squeeze my muscles and then let go. Shit. Just to like fatigue the muscles a little bit before I have to like inject something in them. Tense and release. Tense and release. Tense and release. When I was finally set up, I realised I was going to have to turn to my relaxing Rain Sounds app, which I'd been using to sleep when coronavirus existential dread was keeping me awake. inside the muscle because I get scared otherwise so I just stop and then you pull back just a little bit this is supposed to be to check to see if you're injecting right into a vein but also it helps get a little air in to make pushing in pushing the stuff in easier and then you just push the plunger down I take another deep breath here. Pull it out Thank you again so much for listening, and I hope you're feeling able to participate in solidarity and care and whatever political action feels right for you this week and next week. Um, I'll be thinking of everyone. The Transcripts Podcast is a project of the Treader Transgender Oral History Project at the University of Minnesota Libraries. We're funded by the Tawani Foundation, 
the Minnesota Humanities Innovation Lab, and Virginia Humanities. I'm producer Kasia Sader, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.